There are a limited number of excuses for a young, intelligent woman of seventeen to be traversing the fog-shrouded streets of London at midnight. A matter of protecting one's life, or preventing another's death, or two obvious ones. But as far as I knew, I was neither in danger for my life, nor was I about to forestall the death of another. Being a Holmes, I had my theories and suspicions as to who had summoned me and why. The handwritten message had told me that its author was not only female, but a person of high intellect, excellent taste, and measurable wealth. Its content had been straightforward. Your assistance is requested in a most pressing matter. If you are willing to follow in the footsteps of your family, please present yourself at the British Museum tonight at midnight. Further direction will be provided at that time. As I looked at the letter, I saw so much more than those simple yet mysterious words. Lack of name and address, no seal or watermark. The anonymous sender hand-delivered the message. Heavy creme paper, neat feminine handwriting, lacking embellishment and free of ink blots and errors. An intelligent, pragmatic woman of considerable wealth. Faint perfume scent, expensive but in excellent taste, from the incomparable Mrs. Soffritz on Upper Bond. Traces of rice powder and a smudge of silver glitter. Sender is involved with the theatre, likely La Théâtre du Monde in Paris. Big Ben told as I walked along the middle level of New Oxford Street, the soft yellow glow of the street lamp cutting into the ever-present fog. I heard a soft scuttling sound followed by a low, dull clank and slowed to listen, my hand covering the weapon at my waist as I peered into the dim light. I had borrowed from Uncle Sherlock the steam-stream gun that hung in my unfeminine belt over loose garbadine trousers. One pull of the trigger would release a puff of searing air, a concentration of burning steam, enough to incapacitate a grown man or slice through his skin, my uncle had assured me. The beauty of this steam-powered gadget was that it never needed to be reloaded. Not only was I armed, but I was suitably attired, for bustles, crinolines, and tight sleeves are cumbersome and impractical for a pedestrian on shadowy street walks. Between the weight of the layers of my normal ensemble and its incessant rustling, not to mention the length of the dratted skirts, I would have been a walking target for anyone, from whoremongers looking to find a new girl to the footpads who lurked in the shadows, or to any threats that existed for a tall, gawky, yet intelligent young woman who'd been cursed with the beak-like Holmes' nose. I felt confident I was prepared for whatever dangers I might encounter. One of the self-propelled night illuminators trundled below on its four wheels. I looked down from the raised walkway on which I stood and watched its welcome glow putter through the shadowy night. The cool air stirred, bringing with it the familiar sense of dampness, dry ether, burning coal, and sewage. Below, at the ground level, I heard other common sounds of night— the clip-clop of hoofs, the rattle of various wheeled conveyances, shouts and laughter, and threaded through it all the constant hiss of steam. Steam, the lifeblood of London. I paid two pence to take a street lift to the middle level of the block, where it was ostensibly safer to walk alone. But at midnight in London, I wasn't certain that any street level was safe. The entire day had been rainy and dark-clouded, Trapped inside, I read three books from cover to cover, including the amusing, fanciful American novel A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Worked on two different projects in the lab, 
and managed to annoy Mrs. Rascal enough that she refused to cook me dinner before she retired for the evening. I hadn't meant to knock over the flask of silver polish, but my elbows and arms always seemed to get in the way. I didn't clean it up well enough for her, I confess. I found conducting my lab work a better use of time than getting on my knees and scrubbing. So instead of cooking, she mopped, then emptied the bucket of dirty water from Tuffrance's super-strength mop-ringer. All the while, she complained. Why couldn't Mr. Tuffrance invent a way to make the device empty the mop water afterward as well? To punctuate her foul mood, Mrs. Rascal turned off the mechanized levers on the stove and fairly slammed a plate of cold meat and cheese onto the counter for my dinner. It was a shame, for what she lacked in competence in the way of chaperonage, Mrs. Rascal more than made up for in the kitchen. I counted both as benefits. Her skill with the culinary arts was the reason those layers of crinolines over the torture chamber of my corset had become a tad more difficult to fasten around my waist as of late.